Hello and welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two. <laughs> <laughs> keep it, keep it in. Two, We're live. Two brothers. <laughs> we'll do it live. Fuck it. Just two, keep going. Two two brothers discuss pop culture with a geeky bent. We have to get a pair of tagline. No, it's good. It's good. I just forgot it because it's Chris, been a while. It's been three months. Yeah, that's why you forgot months. it. Shall we tell? Do you know what? News nugget away. News nuggets. Let's get straight into it. So we've been away for three plus months. Yeah. And, and before that, months before, and there's been a lot going on in our lives. You've been busy. Yeah. I've been busy. You moved halfway across the country. I've moved halfway across the country, which means right now. Right now. We are set in the same room. Hi oh. Which is the first time we've ever done this. This is the first time we've ever recorded live, as it were, and uh, you know. In, in the same place, which is which is good because there's quite often uh, I'll say something and then I'll, I'll wait a beat and then I'll kind of have to say like, do you know what I mean? Because I don't get any <laughs> facial cues from you and I don't know if the audio's hanging, if you didn't hear what I said or if you're just sitting there like with your head in your hands really vehemently Chris, disagreeing. Chris, half the time it's me just going, oh fuck's sake. Really? Like just head <laughs> in hands just like... <laughs> What are we doing here? Oh, gee. Who Chris. listens to this podcast? <laughs> All 12 of you, what are you doing? If you're still subscribed, kudos to you. Yeah, like, you champs. You stuck with it. You stuck, stuck with, with it. it. <laughs> it's at the bottom of your like iTunes, iPod. Like, no, I should really get rid of this. But you're still here. You stuck with it. So you moved across the country, Chris. We're yeah. now doing this in person. Very exciting. Our first ever in-person podcast yeah. about number 21 i think this is going to be overall so yeah. we had 20 warm-ups yeah. to do this in person <laughs> let's do it right <laughs> let's do it right now good 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 so there will be no technical fuck-ups um one hopes uh so cast your minds back uh the last thing i asked steve <laughs> to do was was to watch uh the the scorsese classic goodfellas now steve's obviously seen it before uh, but this was <laughs> for my birthday, which is in February. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is one of the downfalls. I think what it was is um, on the, the birthdays, we were allowed to pick films that yeah. we wanted to watch. And you said, I want to make you watch Goodfellas because you haven't watched it in a while, which was fair. Yeah. Um, but it was a combination of two things. One, we were very busy, both of us in our professional lives. And, you know, not being in the same place meant, you know, we had to sit down at home, get on the internet do all that then we had to edit it you know multiple audio tracks which was obviously a big bollock mm -hmm. um however I, i've got to be honest with you sometimes when you suggest something this is typical steve yeah i just kind of go like yeah yeah okay and it just goes to the back of my head and it's like, if i don't want to do it immediately i'm just it just goes to the back of my head and i just decide i'll get to it eventually so even when you gave me the dvd and you put it in my hand and you went, Steve, this is what you're doing. You're going to watch this. I went, all right, Chris. And about two weeks later, I was like, the wife, my wife, you have my wife to thank for this podcast. She went, Steve, for fuck's sake, sit down and watch it. I'll watch it with you. And we did. Yeah. And we watched it. And well, now we're ready to talk. About I think it. one of the things, um, and it's probably the only negative that I could possibly bring up, uh, is that it's got quite a long runtime. Like, it is over two hours. It is a fairly long And in this age of Marvel's Infinity Wars mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, all the rest of it, that probably doesn't seem like such a long runtime. 
but it's not a it's not a quick 90 minutes so you do kind of have to set aside an evening to watch it so i understand but it's another thing that's good about me being here now is that i can kind of we can get a crack the whip on each other a little bit if one of us is, is lagging behind and watching something. Absolutely. Because um, I was actually going to drag you over today and make you watch it if yep. you hadn't watched it up until this point. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's let's stop fannying about and let's talk about it. So, Goodfellas, best movie ever? It's pretty damn good, isn't it? It's pretty damn good. It really holds up. It really holds up. And for a film without any action yeah and without any major set pieces it is engrossing it's it's damn good i managed to get my wife to put down her ipad <laughs> which is another near impossibility well <laughs> we're so used to now in our, our day and age of watching things with smartphones and, and ipads to actually sit down and concentrate on something is is something else yeah it's just an incredible feat of, of filmmaking and something which we were talking about before was we've watched some films recently like uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp in the movies, in, in, yeah. the, in the actual uh, theatres. And it's a f- it's fine film, but you, it's night and day. It's yeah. absolutely night and day. And that, I think, comes from when people talk about great directors and they talk about someone like Martin Scorsese, this is why. Yeah. Because when you compare it to like any other film and you're like, it's not even flash, it's just substance. It's yeah. how the shots are framed together and those magnificent tracking shots of which there are about three or four absolute beauties to the point where the wife this morning, you know, we've watched it the night before, yeah. said, I love those tracking shots. <laughs> and it's not a, th- a phrase that comes out often in, in marital bliss, but <laughs> she's absolutely right. I mean, it's a cracking film, crackingly it's, shot. It is, it, is, it is beautifully shot. I mean, mm. there is a reason... There's a reason Scorsese is, you know, one of the greats. He's he's head and shoulders above many of the others. There's actually, um, you know, speaking of Ant-Man and the more kind of streamlined, let's just get a movie out kind of approach to shooting, you know, point and shoot. Joss Whedon, who I love, has has a phrase about this. He calls it, uh, specifically when he's talking about TV, he calls it radio with pictures. Yeah. And it's basically just to say people just go into autopilot they do what's called an over over two shot, which yep. is you know like a, you would know it if you saw it. Yeah, you know it's it's just standard boring it's over the um, shoulder. Then the other person's the over the shoulder, yeah. and then we'll see both of them in frame. Um, and you know it's it's the great directors that that just take a step away and take a step back and don't just think, I want my actors to say this, say it on screen. Yeah, but think you know what's the camera saying? What's the what yeah. what is how is the camera telling the story? As well as the soundtrack, which is another thing about this film. Yeah, of course. It is just spot on. It's, it puts you into a 1970s and 1980s New York yeah. City, or at least New York, New Jersey kind of area. Um, but it, it does it in a, a slightly more subtle way. You know, if I say to someone, like, I want you to give me a soundtrack and I want you, I want it to put me in 1980s, they'll be like, oh boy! Yeah, and, and I will be bombarded with bombastic... This is, you know, massive yeah. hits from the 80s with synthesizers and whatnot, and it can be so fucking in your face. I yeah. think that was actually one of your issues with um, Stranger Things, wasn't it? Like, you felt they were trying too hard to I felt Stranger put Things you was in the 80s. deliberately just trying to say, hey, wasn't the 80s fun? And here it is over and over again. And I think um, something you've raised there is creating a great soundtrack is a really tough, yeah. tough thing to do. I don't mean original music, I'm talking about picking the licensed music because 
um, you get into that thing of what's my character saying, and you can be very like one level about it. It's, oh, it's, it's really tough. Let's have a mood. Let's have a song that has the word tough in it. You yeah. know, I it, guess I'm living on a prayer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, montage. Let's put a yeah. montage song on. Whereas it can be very tough to um, to pick a song which actually means something, which speaks to maybe like the time you're trying to speak about, and all those other things. Um, in a more, much more subtle way, get you thinking about it a bit more. It's very easy to just slap out some songs, and that's why I thought with Stranger Things, season two was better than season one. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about <laughs> Goodfellas. I will say though, in the Goodfellas soundtrack, since we've jumped into it, we may as well go talk about it. Um, when they get to the eighties, and Ray Otto is up to his armpits and cocaine, <laughs> it's like fuck it, Clapton and Cream. <laughs> <laughs> But it, you know, but it, again, it, it shows us a sort of the tonal shift in the character as well. Yeah. And boy, does anyone play coked up better than Ray Liotta? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jimmy, Jimmy. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's un, it's unbelievable. It's hard. It's hard not to be all over the place when talking about Goodfellas because everything to me, everything is spot on. Yeah. Everything is good. Yeah. Um, you know, so we've we we've hit on the. The, the soundtrack and there's like a good kind of mix of diagetic music which is to say in the scene I know Chris um, I did film studies for three years yeah, I don't know what diagetic music is I may as well leave this is for the audience this is for the audience <laughs> um, you know or you know and and, and sort of ex- external um, but absolutely absolutely cracking soundtrack the direction is superb what works for me so much about the direction and again going back to watching another film is that's how you I think even I'm not very good at film criticism, which is why I never went into the industry. Um, but like a lot of people, like with art, I know yeah. what I like. Mm-hmm. And what you've picked up on there, Chris, is exactly that. So you watch any other film and you see these kind of standard shots. And you know, one of the things, again, I was thinking about when I was watching Ant-Man and the Wasp was how plain Jane some of the scenes were filmed and sound so poorly edited it was at times. Like, why did that character come out of nowhere? You have to explain, you know, I, I have no idea how you managed to get from point A to point C without seeing point B. Yeah. Um, whereas Scorsese is such more dynamic without being flashy. Yeah. So his use of uh, smash pans and all that stuff and and the freeze frames to, to point on certain aspects of the storyline and, and it's just so much more dynamic and kinetic. The camera is very kinetic and moves. And yeah. Obviously the big flashy part of that is those tracking shots. Yeah which when you think about it are absolutely incredible. And the, the best one is the Copacabana scene when Ray Liotta takes Lorraine Brackle, Lorraine Brackle from The Sopranos, and everybody yeah. else from The Sopranos is in this film as well. <laughs> uh, Lorraine Brackle doing her best half Jewish, half Italian, New yeah. York, New Jersey, yeah. uh, wise guy-esque wife. She's fantastic in this as well. Um, but taking them in the back door and going around through the kitchen, which is bustling all the way out to the front where they get a table put in front of them. And the show starts, I think the whole thing's like a couple of minutes. Yeah. But that's hard. That's really hard to have the actors do everything they need to do. No mistakes to happen. I'm sure at one point, Leota yeah. actually bangs into something and hurts himself and he just keeps going. Yeah, well, he's a pro. Leo is a pro. <laughs> I mean, it is funny seeing these actors of before they become caricatures of themselves. Leota and De Niro was starting to go that way, I think, by this point in his career. But he's, he's also very good. Yeah. Well, I mean, and the cast, I mean, we've obviously just touched on it there, but the the cast is, is royalty. When it comes to gangster movies, there is no better cast than this. And a lot of people say it's the best gangster film, you know, and some people say Godfather and stuff. And, you know, I think the best example of the whole life is Sopranos, but it's TV. Yeah. Um, 
But it is, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic cast, and it does feature a lot of those same kind of people. The guy who plays Polly Walnuts from from The Sopranos, but you've yeah. also got all the other kind of background characters, Lorraine Brackle as well, and the same actor behind Christopher Moltisanti as well. Yeah, you even played a comparatively minor role, but <laughs> he did. But it was important, and and important he role. he shows us a scene that that has some of the most sort of. So obviously we've got we've got Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci is um, in there as well. Yeah. Probably best known for his role in Home Alone as one of the wet bandits. <laughs> or Lethal Weapon. Or Lethal Weapon. Or anything, really. And again, you know, he, he so much becomes that caricature, you know, the yeah. small, mouthy kind of guy. Talk like this. My cousin Vinny. But, um, you know, his his performance is, is unhinged. It's you know? absolutely unhinged. And the thing is, you're always nervous. And what the other actors just do this great job of is they're always just kind of like, no, come, Tommy, come on, leave it. Leave yeah. it. Let's just... Let it go. Because they're nervous because they know he yeah. can snap at any moment. And sometimes, you know, there's the famous scene where, you know, he says, you know, what, what I'm funny. Yeah. I'm like a clown to you. I yeah, amuse yeah. you. Yeah. And he really starts, you know, starts off in this path where you think he's about to lose his mind. And then it all turns out to be a joke. And on the flip side, he's having a bit of back and forth. Uh, I forget the character's name, but like you said, the actor who plays Chris from The yeah. Sopranos. And he, he starts giving a bit of lip back and then he says, like, oh, fuck you, Tommy. Yeah, and everyone's it, like, ah, it. he's, he's breaking it. balls. Yeah, that's great. And then he just kind of waits for a, a beat and then just pulls out his gun and shoots his foot off. Exactly. And the other, bit, the other famous scene is Billy Bats. Yeah. Where, where, go get your fucking shoe <laughs> Go get box. your fucking shoe box. <laughs> <laughs> go get your shine box. Go get your fucking shine box. Which is still a great put down if you're yeah. ever in a situation where someone's mouthing off to you, go get your fucking shame box. Yeah. It's just a great picture, isn't it? He ended with just his it, life, but... And at least he does, he does it with such disrespect. You know, he, he doesn't even look at him. He's just taking his drink. Go get your fucking box. And he's really trying to say to him, like, you're beneath me. I am... I, I'm a big dog. I've done time. I'm a made guy. Yeah, I'm a made guy, and you're just a piece of shit. And again, you know, Tommy is just this unhinged character. You never feel comfortable when he's on screen because you never know what he's going to do. Yeah. And Pesci's just got the energy uh, to, to, to really make you feel that because he has that that calm, I'm not doing anything, I'm just having a joke, you know, straight into I'm a complete lunatic. Only Jack Nicholson, I think, can do that quite so, <laughs> quite so well, you yeah. know. Um, and, and it's simultaneously funny and horrifying, yeah. which is something I think Scorsese in particular is very, very good at, uh, good at doing. But yeah. The, it would have been very easy for all of them. Yeah. The three principles, anyway, to all be unhinged. Yeah. In the same way, because they're all gangsters, and therefore they're all going to be used to violence or whatever. And Leota, of course, has made a career of that of being yeah. the unhinged guy. And although he is at times uh, violent towards his wife, and um, and um, and kind of goes off the rails, of course, but especially when he gets into drugs. But he never really goes to that kind of same area of performance. Yeah. As as does he. So it, it, it's, it's much more balanced than that. And of course, De Niro, you know, for like half the film, the first half of the film is yeah. very quiet and he's in there, but, you know, he's more, um, much more restrained. Even yeah. He's supposed to be the crazy violent one and he kind of keeps it well under hidden. You know, so it's a good balance between the three leads. Yeah. Between those levels of um, mafioso. Yeah. Intent. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and and what's what's kind of the most interesting as well is a lot of these stories, The Godfather being a prime example, like to focus on life at the top. You know, The Sopranos the as well. The you know, political aspect. Yeah, you know, 
Tony's the boss. How do things work around him? Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas in this, we actually only see the boss of the family like a couple of times. Yeah, he, Paul Servino, yeah. Yeah, he, he's like a boss of mafioso family would be. He's not that hands-on. He's not that involved. Yeah. He steps in when the shit hits the fan. Yeah. He tries to kind of right the boat for, for Riliota and it, it, you know, ultimately doesn't, doesn't really work out. But, you know, these are guys, they're actually kind of on the outside. Yeah. You know, none of them are made men. Um, no, because two of them are half Irish. Half Irish, so they can't, they can't be. Tommy's the only one that could be. Yeah. And, of course, I mean, if you're listening to this now, you should know this is, there's plenty of spoilers coming your way, but it, it is when he gets made that everything kind of... Well, he doesn't get made. That's well, exactly, that, you know, yeah, he, he when, when he goes to get made, he... It, that, he that, that was a long piece of revenge as well, because yeah. they killed Billy Bats in 1970, and he gets killed in 1980. <laughs> That was revenge for Billy Bats. That took you ten years for revenge. Matthew's got a long memory. <laughs> they do have a long memory. They do have a long memory. I don't know why they would have done it quicker, but if if there's one takeaway from this movie is do not fuck with the mafia. Well, and clearly, I, I, I think that's good advice for anyone. And, and also um, the the mother character for um, the, the unhinged one. Yeah, for Tommy. For Tommy. Yeah. His mother is brilliant, and she's such the. the Perfectly like, Italian mother is like, I can't go to sleep now. I'll make you some food. Come on, sit down. I'm going to make you some food. They've got a dead body in the back of the car, <laughs> and the mum's sitting there and he's like, This is good. This is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it, and it shows how kind of, you know, having a dead body in the back of the car does not hugely phase them. <laughs> it's, it's so absurdly normal. I think yeah. that's one of the great aspects of this film, which is uh, investigated through like Lorraine Bracco's character. Is yeah exactly how that lifestyle is so insidious like you can be on the outside and then all of a sudden your boyfriend puts a bloody gun into your hand and asks you to hide it yeah and you do like it and you know exactly at that point what you're doing and what he is and what he's into he's not a union guy or whatever it is he's yeah because there's always that element of denial or i can turn the other i'm exactly. pretty sure that things aren't quite on the up and up but i don't need exactly. to know but and if get, I don't know, it can't hurt me. And they get so constrained within that lifestyle. You only know guys from the mafia, and you only yeah. know their wives, and you only know their girlfriends or whatever. That you get so locked into that familia yeah. that uh, you don't see the outside world. So it all becomes normal. So it's all very normal, and it's just it's a, a very interesting part of the film, especially when she starts doing the voiceover as well. Yeah. Like those dueling voiceovers between the husband and the wife. Yeah. Um, it's just an excellent, excellent like deep dive, and that's what was so great in The Sopranos with Carmela's character. Is exactly the same as yeah, they're almost lying to themselves that yeah. they're above it all, that they're better. But in actual fact, Lorraine Bracco is just as bad. Yeah, as, she is the as mob wife. You know, yeah, I Henry. I want the lifestyle, and she kind of knew exactly. right from the get go what kind of guy he was. Exactly, uh, and they always convinced themselves, well, he's not going to cheat. He's not going to have a gumad. A gumad. <laughs> she was a whore. <laughs> can we talk about how the Italian-Americans just can take those words and strangle them? Uh, uh, like, well, we would say whore, but they would go, whore. <laughs> she was a whore. <laughs> it's an incredible feat of English. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. And, and speaking about the, that scene with, uh, with, with Tommy's mum and cooking them all dinner, that's Scorsese's mum, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, so... Um, I did not know that. Fact, fact check me on this, and afterwards we'll edit it out if I'm lying. But I'm... Yeah, so I'm pretty sure that's Scorsese's mum, and she's pretty much improving. Like, they're, they're, they're pretty much just... You know, it's like, just go in there, mother them, make them dinner. You know, they've just woken you up late at night. You've got no idea what's going on. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure the scene's 
um, if not improv, heavily improvised, I think. Catherine Scorsese. Yeah, this is mum. This is wow. mama. Um, and I'm pretty sure she had no idea what the film was about. Or certainly didn't know that it was... But then she comes across like that, doesn't yeah. she? she? And that's what's, that's what's so perfect about it. Yeah. The actress herself does not know that there's a body in the trunk. They did, she does not know that these guys have just done some heinous act and they're all about to commit a conspiracy to, to, to cover up a murder. Yeah. Um, and... So they're kind of they're kind of doing that sort of deception of ah oh, we're just a couple of hungry guys Come yeah we've just um, all been out all night and whatever that's yeah. fantastic I actually it's, didn't know that it, that, that was a, fa- a fantastic little piece also um, you know speaking of what you're saying about the <clears throat> you know how when they get into that life you only know people from that life yeah what was very interesting was when people were talking about researching their roles yeah um, you know this is all based on a book. It's all, it's all yeah, about a guy Nicholas called Pelagi, yeah, yeah. Um, it's about a guy called Henry Hills, I think. Henry Hills is the main character. Yeah, is the, is the main character, and um, so you know, in researching it, Henry Hills was more than happy to talk to Leota and a few of the other guys and everything else. But um, Lorraine Bracco actually had a lot of trouble because she was trying to find out what's it like to be a mob wife, you know, and she said you, they just wouldn't talk. Um, actually, the mo- the, the the males, the mobsters were running their mouths like there's no tomorrow yeah. <laughs> because to them it's to at least to some of them it's glamorous yeah and to some of them they're almost like reliving their glory days you know like ah, i remember we used to go down to big joe's pizza and we we put the squeeze on him but with the, the wives are a very very tight-knit community yeah and they do not talk and they're basically they talked for a bit but it, it was it was more about you know they just don't deal with outsiders and that was in another great scene in the film is the hostess scene where yeah. she meets all the wives kind of together for the first time and she's talking about their hair and their skin and everything yeah. and I think Ilya, is it Ileana Glazer is the yeah, so. woman doing her stuff and she's hilarious anyway she's hilarious in most films um, and then she gets that realisation that this is like a tight knit sub-level of the mafia yeah like they're all together they're not going to tell it. they'll talk about it together but outside of this no yeah. this is our thing and then when Henry goes off to prison she is cut off like, yeah they will not speak to her at all in case that he's speaking to him and then only when he comes back in he loses his cherry I think they say he goes off yeah. to prison or whatever then she's back in she's back in all the parties but it's, a, it's an intriguing world and I'm not surprised at all that she struggled to get that yeah and, and that's just it I mean you know, I think I think one of the other things that works so well about it is the fact that you know, obviously you've said about the three principal leads having very different kind of energies and whatnot. But the, you know, they've always also both got everybody's got a downfall. You know, yeah. Tommy's is the most obvious and violent and graphic. Yeah. Uh, but you know, we also see, uh, you know, De Niro's character is the very classic example of greed, and you know, he's he's kind of the the straight shooter. He's kind of the, the reasonable guy of the three of them to start with. By the end of it. Like greed has just completely but consumed him. But he's a him. nervous wreck. He yeah. can't trust anyone. Yeah, um, and, and that's he, why he he offs Maury, and then he offs the rest of them is because he just cannot trust them. Yeah, uh, and he's just too nervous around it all. And that's what Polly was trying to tell Henry was yeah. that you cannot trust him, you cannot trust Tommy. That like, they are crazy. Yeah, uh, and he didn't listen. To him. Yeah. Much to much to his uh, his much to Henry's <laughs> chagrin. Yeah, as he would then obviously go down the whole drug route in, in Pittsburgh. I just love so I just love so many different aspects of the way the film is set up. I think the first because the reason why you gave me this, Chris, is we haven't watched it in a while, right? Mm-hmm. So the first half of the film is so iconic. Like yeah. so many scenes and images that you've seen before, but it's Leota laughing at Tommy 
when he's doing his stories and then calls yeah. Tommy a clown or yeah. he says he's funny and then he has a clown scene. Um, him blowing up the car at the start and then the freeze frame with him and that is perfect. Yeah. And all those other kind of scenes at the start, basically the first half of the film was very uh, familiar to me. Yeah. But actually, the second half of the film, I completely forgot. The basically the eighties, mm. um, his drug. You know, when he gets in, it was in prison, and he gets the drugs, and he starts selling those. To the point where, when he's getting chased by the helicopter towards the end, yeah, I honestly thought because I hadn't, I hadn't watched it so long, I was like, oh, this is all uh, drug fueled. Yeah, it's all in his head. This is all <laughs> in his head because obviously the voiceover was going mental as well at the same time. You know, he's he's going, he's racing a bit as well, and that was all. It wasn't new to me, but it was all just oh, I cannot remember this at all. But it's how fresh it was, you know. And yeah, it is a film that grabs you. As I said, it's two and a half, two and a half, two and a half hours yeah. or so, and it, you know, it's absolutely with for, for no action scenes, no major drug busts. Yeah. You know, you think about these mobster films. There's always a big scene. There's some political shenanigans. It wasn't really. We think about any the, of that. The, the last mob movie we talked about was The Godfather yeah. Part Three. Possibly one of the most boring mob movies in history. Yeah. And there's a part where a helicopter blows up an entire room full of people. Exactly. You, know? you can say very little with a lot of action. Yeah. <laughs> and you can say a lot with very little. And, and you know, for, for my money, Scorsese just... This is, for me, like, the perfect mobster movie, the perfect gangster movie. Everything is just... There's no fat, you know? For a two and a half hour movie, there's not a single scene where I'm not riveted, where I'm not... Completely yeah. fixated on what's happening. I'm laughing. I'm scared. I'm on edge. Yeah. And you do feel, especially in those later scenes, you feel as on edge as the characters do. Yeah. Because you're like, I know they're gonna get caught. I'm <laughs> like, he's making. He's so sloppy. He's making so many mistakes. He's he's all coked up. Yeah. Um. And I think part of that is the first half of the film sets it. it it's very comfortable. You know, even when bad things are happening. It's it's very warm and welcoming and comfortable, and you don't feel out of your comfort zone when you're watching it. Because no. the second half is, you know, when and it's kind of reflecting where the characters are at, whether it's it's the paranoia or the mm. you know the, the 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 drugs or you know whatever it may be. I think you know it's sort of it's it's between I think the point where Leota goes to jail and where he comes back out again, mm. and he's got the chance to kind of do things a bit differently, maybe make some slightly more sensible decisions even just in terms of his mafioso life and he instead chooses to go back on the drugs to start selling the drugs to do all these things that yeah. that ultimately ultimately lead to his failure and i think part of it is it's not as comfortable it's it's not as easy to remember for that reason yeah um and i think that's why it has fewer of the iconic scenes and everything in the, towards the end yeah absolutely and it's, it's great at the end actually when you see him on the lawn and everything he's yeah. kind of just looking at you and it's like he hates his life now. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter that he's safe. It doesn't matter he's in the witness protection program and he's going to be fine. It's just it's too boring and too plain. And it's just very interesting to see how you get so intoxicated yeah. with that lifestyle. And that's obviously what happens at the start of the film. So every you know the first line is ever since I remembered, I've always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah, and he just is ne he's just never able to shake it. Yeah, and and that's it. People who have experienced that life, they never really can because mm. you've experience basically living like a celebrity who no one knows you know you get everything handed to you on a silver yeah. platter you have more money than you could possibly know what to do with yeah uh, which is something that constantly comes up in these kind of films but it's never enough yeah they always want more and more and more there's always greed that always leads to a paranoia about not just 
are the feds after me or the cops after me but can i trust these guys around me are they going to turn on me do they want what i have um it's it, it must be a hugely intoxicating lifestyle but also you know if you survive it it's one that fucks you up for life <laughs> I, nobody gets out i told me being fucked up how about those shirt collars oh. <laughs> the fashion <laughs> the fashion is incredible those i mean even in like the sopranos the fashion's a bit wow out yeah. there but it's those shirt collars that go right down and you can barely see the tie yeah at least the top of the tie i can't I spent almost every scene just staring just at them. <laughs> who put them on it's incredible <laughs> 70s so, was a hell of a decade as well. <laughs> cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> it is a bold choice uh, for fashion, but it, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, and again, it's it's the sort of film where they get to have a bit of a play with that. You know, they're they're mafia guys who always have that sort of. I'm dressing so you know what I am. I'm dressing. I'm not going to say what I am, but you know what I am, right? Because exactly. you see the shirt I'm wearing, and you see the exactly. you see the incredibly expensive suit with the Rolex and everything else. Um, and the thick accent and the, you know, the, the way I do things. Yeah. Um, and mix that with the seventies, which already for fashion was off the chain. Yeah. And you just get something again. It's just, it is unique. It's visually, you could flick around the channels and straight away go like, oh shit, Goodfellas is on. You yeah. Know? Yeah. If anyone even flipped around channels anymore, I don't think they do. No. But <laughs> let me ask you this. So what was interesting watching the film, and I can't help myself, especially with mob films is, um, when the violence is presented, especially the violence like where he beats up Henry's postman for taking the yeah. school reports that he's mm -hmm. been truant back to his parents. And both me and the wife kind of found myself giggling. Yeah. As he's beating up, he's like, you're not going to take any letters to everything. No, 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 no. <laughs> and we, exactly, we find ourselves laughing. And you, you, you sit, I'm sitting here thinking, saying, that's really a horrible scene. Like, there's yeah. so many little scenes it's like so that. so messed up. What is it about gangster films, Chris, that make us... Kind of put that to the side, almost like, oh, those scallywags, you know, beating up a innocent post up there. I don't, I don't know. know what it I is. think it's it's a remarkable thing because, you know, again, you can't, you can't not talk about The Sopranos because it's just such a great show for well, that that yeah. sort of that the mob the mob life and everything. It's a very similar thing. There's some very comedic scenes that have some incredibly, yeah. you know, incredible violent imagery. I think right in episode one, uh, you know, Chrissy and. Uh, Tony are in a car. That's right. Yeah. And they, they, you know, fuck it, there he is. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And they drive over to the and guy. Tony giggles. Yeah. As he's drive, trying to drive him over. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it just, it takes us into their mindset that this is, this is almost a joke. I'm going to laugh about this later with my friends in the bar because I, I beat up the fucking postman and I can get away with that. And I think... I think it's an incredibly skilled thing between the writer, the director, mm. the scoring, everything mm. that can somehow make something that we should look at as horrific. Yeah. It'd be quite amusing. And, you know, Scorsese can do it the other way too. If you look at, like, The Departed. Yeah. When there's violence in that, it shocks you. And yeah. it kind of, like, that that film is almost the polar opposite of Goodfellas and it's still amazing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he, he is more than capable of showing it as gritty and real and horrible but he gives us that comedic side. And I think it's, yeah, it's to pull you into their life. It's to make you yeah. sit there and laugh at something objectively terrible. You know, you do the same thing when, when, when Tommy shoots the guy in the foot, when he beats the crap out of the guy who's just told him to go get his shine box. Like, yeah. you're kind of laughing at it. You're like, this is, this is crazy. And, you know, you're allowing yourself to be so desensitized and you're allowing yourself to do it because you're stepping into their world. You're seeing it the way they see it. 
and that's that's why I think anyway. That's yeah. That's how it comes across. But it's, it, it, I mean, it's it's got quite a few comedic scenes. I mean, and in comedic line deliveries as well. And one of the ones I wrote down was actually when he's at home and Lorraine Brackle goes to give him a blowjob, <laughs> and he just goes, "Oh, all right." <laughs> <laughs> such a great line really. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but it isn't said like he's not enjoying it he is enjoying it but it's just the way he's, he delivers it is, yeah. is, is perfect it kind of reminds you of the talent that really also had um, back then as well as the rest of this cast I mean, it's an incredible cast um, but just there are so many good elements I agree with you that it is bringing you into that lifestyle where you, you, you kind of just laugh off like yeah. ultra violence and Tommy's you know absolutely mental approach to people like uh the waiter yep. in the bamboo um the bamboo lounge uh, and the owner of it who eventually then signs over and then gets dicked over because yep. he's done exactly what the mob wanted to which is sign over his place to them um there's so many great scenes like that and it's just played for laughs uh, so well it's interesting how it draws you in and you are laughing at violent scenes scary scenes if you were face to face with a guy like tommy and he was going like that You'd be shitting yourself. It would be the most terrifying thing you ever experienced. That's that's what's so remarkable about it because yeah. it, it could just with a slight difference in the way it's shot. And I suspect there's also, like you say, there's a lot of comedic moments. Mm. I think your proximity to the comedy when it comes to these violent scenes is a big part as, as to how you're going to feel about that scene. Yeah. You know, if it's a very serious, po-faced film and you see a, a scene of violence and it's played straight, you're not going to be laughing. I mean, it would be the exact same shots. I mean, almost. there's not a lot of gore. No. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, that is quite funny. When he takes the he takes the big knife, doesn't he? he takes yeah. the big like, bread knife. He says, "Mom, can I have that?" And he has some <laughs> And you really know from the first scene in the film, he's just stabbing away at Billy Bat. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not really. Um, again, it's not an ultra-violent film. It's not got a lot of action set pieces or, or anything like that. Yeah. It's not quite that at all. But it is an interesting deep dive into it. Let's talk a little bit about Bobby D. Okay. What do you think about Bobby D's performance? Outstanding. Well, obviously, but I, I did find it interesting that this point in his career, he was, especially when he got older. Yeah. Uh, not so much at the start of the film. I think at the start of the film, you know, when he's younger, as outstanding. When he's getting older, you can almost see his future self in that performance, but with yeah. the way that his um, his little more jolly. It's that way that Bob Robert De Niro now portrays his performances now, which is a little bit stereotypical. Yeah. Which is that kind of that, and you can't do it on podcasts, but you that kind of that kind of face where he's kind mm. of everything's kind of pushed up to the nose, you know, like that. I've 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 seen it. I've seen you. Okay. <laughs> exactly. exactly. When he gets to the later years, he does a lot of that, and I was sitting there thinking, is that him doing a really good impression of his future self? It's it's weird because yeah, it, like De Niro now does a De Niro impersonation. Like yeah. that's that's what it is, and you know, obviously he does so much more comedy now and and whatever else. You know, it's been a long time actually since Robert De Niro's just done a, a straight gangster movie or, or anything like that. Well, just a straight film where he's not acting as himself. I guess Pacino's a bit the same, you know. It's been a long time since <sighs> that. Pacino. <laughs> Pacino! Pacino! Exactly. Do all your best Pacino impressions. But I think, I mean, especially at the start of the film, he was the younger up-and-coming gangster who everyone knew and he was a yeah. Hollywood rock star. I thought he was excellent because he was very restrained yeah. and that is a word that kind of comes up more and more as De Niro gets older and Pacino yeah. is restrained like it's a more restrained performance whereas when they get older it becomes a bit unhinged but maybe that's just Scorsese as well it's Scorsese has worked obviously so long with 
with De Niro that maybe he just able he to just extract. knows exactly how to direct him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's able to to extract like the best possible performance from him. I think I think that's very much the case. I mean, I think it's it, it's you know di- directing is so much a behind the behind the scenes thing, behind the mask. You know, only only a few people really know what goes through the mind of a director or how they work. Yeah. Um, and there are actors who I'm sure are just consummate professionals who work just as well with everybody. Yeah. And there are then those very difficult actors, I'm thinking of Bruce Willis's, William Shatner's, people like that. You have to be a, such a pro, you know. You have to you have to do you have to trick them almost into doing exactly what you want, because otherwise it's just gonna be like, no, I'm not doing that in that scene. Fuck that. No, I, I've got this whole thing planned. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna look at the camera. I'm gonna mug at the camera for a little bit. Exactly. Gonna, exactly. Just grimace for a while. I mean, especially you know when you talk about him being restrained. The the scene right at the end, basically, where he's Henry's on the stand and he's asked to name names. Yeah. Who is it? Who did it? And he points directly to Robert De Niro's character. Yeah. Robert De Niro's biggest fear is realized. He's been betrayed by someone he trusted. Yeah. You know, somebody's flipped and done the one thing that you're never supposed to do in the mafia. You know, turn state's evidence, and he he just doesn't react. He just take like I think he just yeah. takes off his glasses and he because he knows it's coming. He's known it's coming almost for years, and so he does nothing. Where you know anybody could have seen that scene going. You know, De Niro jumping up and being like, "You scumbag! I'll kill you! I can't believe you turn on me! You're a scum!" You know, anything else. But he just does nothing, and that is so much more powerful. Sure. Especially because you know what's going on inside. You know that it's the most painful thing that could have happened to him. And that's true. Direction is so much more than just shot composition and camera movement and saying, right, I want the camera to do this and do that. I mean, it can do, to Joss Whedon's point, you know, yeah. just do two overhead shoulders and a wide shot and we're done. Yeah. And we'll go, we'll, we'll, go <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get lunch. We'll get lunch. Um, you know, and, and th- th- sometimes it can be little things. I'm reminded of the story of a director and... Um, someone was saying to him, what to do with your hands? And the director, who'd been an actor before, had said, always make sure you're the first one in the scene to cross your arms, because then no one else can do it. And then you can <laughs> do something for the rest of the scene. Never put your hands on your hips, because for every single take, you've got to put them back there and hold them. <laughs> and it's really annoying. So it's just little things sometimes, like what to do with your body, as much as it is what to do with your performance, and what to do with the camera. Um, but you're right, you know, that yeah. scene where at the end, it's not again like none of this film it's not it's not played over the top mm. um you know the stereotype of what you might think a, ma- a, a mob mobster would react so yeah it's very much these people live this life and they know this could happen and they're as as they said to henry at the start you know you might um you know you didn't talk you know squeal you would do your time and that's what de niro and Polly are, are prepared to do yeah um at that scene and they don't react over the top but what was great about that scene was how the voiceover kind of comes back full circle and Henry then addresses the audience by jumping out of the, um, the evidence, uh, the witness box and yeah. doing his real straight to camera yeah. as everybody else is looking at the box. Which, which is something that just wasn't really done in film. You know, never really gets done. Well, it, is, it was breaking the fourth wall, wasn't yeah. it? I mean... And people do it now. But... Opinions on voiceovers in films vary like a lot of people didn't like the voiceover on Blade Runner and it works well without it yeah whereas in this film it works very well because it, it does that narrative and allows you to jump into scenes without big explanations and, and all that yeah stuff. and the thing is at least your characters when your characters are talking they're talking naturally they're not going hey remember the other day when we stabbed that guy yeah yeah, yeah. yes of course I do 
<laughs> Why would I not remember that? Exactly. Just, uh, oh, uh, we've got this job. Yeah, it's this guy. Yeah, this dancer. Yeah. And then they just start talking about it. It's great. Yeah. What's great as well is um, it's absolutely fascinated me. You were talking about what you expect of a mob movie. Yeah, expectations. Um, yeah. You know, when I was looking into, a while ago, I was looking into, you know, The Godfather. Um, um, what I found was The Godfather, a lot of it is just a creation of Mario Pozo, the guy who wrote the original novel. Sure. Um, and he really put in a lot of that stuff about family and honor and everything yeah. else. And basically back then the mafia were more or less just slightly organized thugs, which you could argue they still are, but that veneer of family and honor and trust and you never snitch and you never turn on a guy wasn't really there. But in fact, through the Godfather and how ubiquitous it became as people from that you know from a certain age onwards became part of the mafia that started to become a part of it and and it really became a case of life imitating art mm. um and then of course you get a guy like like henry hills who tells his story who writes his book and that's a real life account of what happened and then we get the film yeah which represents basically to me what a gangster film is you yeah. know it is it becomes iconic of the genre and that probably again kind of it kind of feeds into you know the real life lives of these people and you yeah. never really know how much of it's true and how much of it's uh, you know maybe he's exaggerating a bit to make himself sound a bit cooler or a bit more important than sure. he was yeah you know but then it almost becomes like that you know yeah a, a mob boss watches it and goes well where the fuck do i do i not get that the copacabana <laughs> i'm getting that the next time i go in or i'm breaking someone's thumbs yeah know? exactly um it's absolutely fascinating the way that works Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting point I should raise there about life imitating art yeah. or, or, or actually um, art fueling real life where the mobsters turn around and say it's all about honour and family, whatever. The only thing I wrote down here which kind of related to that was the word respect. Yeah. Like they did that because they respected me and all that yeah. stuff. Like that's, that kind of fits in a bit with that idea, but there was no talk about honour or merta um, and all that stuff. It was really just, yeah, these organised guys who mainly having to be Italian or yeah. part Italian hanging out at a taxi stop in Brooklyn <laughs> and having a great time and, and robbing some people and, and they, again there was very little violence because in this film of course they, they, they rob the trucks don't they Yeah, and they don't do any violence stuff. so again it, it, you think oh they're going to going to be guns and there's going to be explosions and whatever or, no no none of that it's just I'm going to give you a hundred and you're going to give me a truck. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just going to run off and then yep. turn around. It's like, you see, that was two black guys that took my truck. Like, oh, <laughs> my God. oh my God. But yeah, I mean, obviously Chris is uh, an incredible film, which our critical analysis is so far beneath what everyone else has done. But um, I think what really just stands out to me, just kind of in summation is just Scorsese as storyteller. Yeah. It is just, if you walk away from a film like that that doesn't have huge set pieces, you know, oh, you should see this action scene, or, oh, Tom Cruise just broke his ankle <laughs> doing this, or whatever. <laughs> and you can walk away from it and say, that was an engrossing, captivating, entertaining two-plus hours. It's a great film. Yeah. It's a it, classic. It, it truly is. It truly is. Um, it's, you know, and it, the, the reason I picked it, you know, as my birthday treat, however many months ago, um, how old are you now? <laughs> how old was I then? Um, but it very much, yeah, I, like I say, for me, it is one of the best films I think I've ever seen, I think I ever will see. And I actually don't re watch films very much. 
um, I just don't have time, <laughs> you know. Um, so really, you know, for me to want to go back and watch a film like that, you know, it, that for me is one of the biggest testaments to how great it is because more than anything else, I can sit back and go, no, that, it's like a refresher. It's like a reset button in my head. Like, no, that's what films should be, you know. Mm. They shouldn't be churning them out every, every you know, we've, we've, we've just done a, a mini episode where we've, we've discussed, you know, Marvel and Star Wars and, you know, how there's like this production line of films sure. with, with, with them to good effect or otherwise. Um, and and you, you've said about Ant-Man, it was okay, it did the job. It, yeah. it did the job it was supposed to. And it's because it, it's not a labour of love. It's not a director saying, there's a story and I really want to tell it. And here's how I want to tell it. It's a studio going to a director going, who wants Ant-Man? Who wants Ant-Man? Who's got it? You got it? Great. Okay. Here's the story you're going to tell. Exactly. And it's, it's okay. It's funny. It, it's, it passes a few hours quite pleasantly. But, you know, it's not good for us. I don't it's know. not going to have you talking. I don't know if every Scorsese film is a labour of love. But I do no. know that there is a, a level of quality. And that comes from knowing his craft and... As you said earlier, you know, the, the kineticism of the camera and, you know, things like those long tracking shots, which live in your memory. When you've seen a great tracking shot, and eventually I'll get you to watch a film, I know because it's just come on Netflix, so I can make sure you watch it. <laughs> when you see a great tracking shot, you just go, wow, it's great. You know, it draws you in and you yeah. just are amazed by the craft. Uh, and then you see a film like, like we said Ant-Man, we're not shitting on Ant-Man, it's, it's fine, but... You then see it and you think how undynamic some of those shots yeah. are. And sometimes you watch a film and you think, oh, it's really fast-paced. And then you watch it maybe without the music or you watch it again at home. You're like, actually, it was a bit slow and a bit clunky. And, you know, it's a lot of mistakes really there on screen. Whereas you have a film like Goodfellas, which again, no action, really, none of that stuff. But he makes that camera pop when yeah. he wants to get his point across, whether it's smashing in on someone, whether it's those tracking shots point of view shots, mm -hmm. talking to the camera directly, breaking the fourth wall, they're all in here. And they all add up to an engrossing experience, which you can admire from a, a, cinem a cinemaphile, or you just enjoy it as a, a great mobster team. So that is really the genius of the film. Mm. So I think, uh, I think I've said all I need to say about Goodfellas. You got anything else? No. That's great. Okay, so what am I what am I doing next time? Well, at the moment, Chris, you are rewatching Babylon Five at this very second greatest television show ever made, and you're coming up in about the middle of the run, and you're going to watch a um, just terrific episode, Hugo Award winning episode called Severed Dreams, and uh, when you get to that, you're going to hit pause in your rewatch. We're going to jump back in here, mm -hmm. and we're going to talk about it. Excellent, excellent. I shall look forward to that very much. So, as ever, you can follow us on Twitter at OBrotherPod. You can like us at Facebook.com slash OBrotherPodcast. And finally, please subscribe, please review, you know, on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn or whatever app you choose We're going to be to back use. for more than five minutes this time, Chris. We're going to be I back properly. We're back for real. We're going to make a blood oath, yes. you and I. Pass the knife. Do it now. <laughs> Pass the knife. <laughs> 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 Sound effects. We get sound effects now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've been Chris, he's been Steve, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you real soon.